this is going to be incredible. The Lord with the sound of the shofar. Now, this is Psalms 47.5. The Lord is going to come with the sound of a shofar. God's gone up with a shout. But look at 1 Thessalonians 4.16 now. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with what? A shout with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. God is going to shout. There's going to be the sound of the shofar. We see this again in Zechariah 9.14. The Lord will be seen over them. His arrow will go forth as lightning. And the Lord God shall blow the trumpet and go with the whirlwinds of the south. So this, this Feast of Trumpets, I mean, to me, when I read this, this is so connected to the Feast of Trumpets. We're going to find out a lot of the events in Revelation are going to happen on the Feast of Trumpets. This is why we want to be on the biblical calendar. As a matter of fact, in Psalms 89, 15, it said, Blessed are the people that know the joyful sound, and the word sound there is teruah. The people that know the sound of the shofar are blessed. So what I want to do now is talk a little bit about this, some of the idioms for Yom Teruah, or in other words, uh, some of the other names for Yom Teruah. One of them is known as, uh, let's go to the clip here, Jacob's Trouble. Okay, now why do they call this this tribulation, this, this time of Jacob's trouble? And why, and I could be wrong, I'm not saying you have to believe this way. But I really believe the tribulation is going to begin on the Feast of Trumpets. I don't know what year. I'm not setting dates. But the tribulation is definitely a Yom Teru event, and you're going to see that here. First, let's look at Jeremiah 30, verse 6 and 7. It says, Ask now and see whether a man travails with child. A lot of you women has wished this on us men. Well, it's the we're going to know. It says, uh, Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail? All faces are turned to paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that there's none like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. But what is the good news? He'll be saved out of it. What do we say? see again in Isaiah 26, verse 17? Like as a woman with a child that drew near the time of her delivery is in pain and cries out in her pangs, so have we been in your sight, O Lord. Isaiah 13, 6 through 8. Let's look at this. It says, Howl, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It'll come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore shall all hands be faint. Every man's heart will melt. Does this sound like what Yeshua said about men's hearts failing them for fear? You know, see, we're going to connect these big dots all through the Torah, the Tanakh, with Revelation. And we need to see these things. As a matter of fact, uh, hopefully I'll have it done uh, the next time uh, that we meet I'm going to give, there's like 500 verses in the Old Testament that Revelation is referring to. So how in the world can you understand Revelation if you don't understand the 500 verses that are in the Torah and the Tanakh that relate to it? So I'm in an Excel spreadsheet and I'm trying to list them all. And it's taking me a little while, but hopefully I'll have them done. But that also reminds me, I'll jump in here now. How many were not here on Saturday, Shabbat? Quite a few weren't here, Shabbat. Okay, just so you know, we're going to do something different next week. Okay, so let's go back to our notes. And then it goes on to say, And they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrow shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that travails. They'll be amazed one at another, and their faces will be as flames. 
Well, let's look at Daniel now, chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of your people, and there shall be what? A time of trouble. This is the time of Jacob's trouble he's referring to here. Such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time your people will be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, this is kind of interesting. Uh, this is just another side note that comes to my mind. When you think about the Holocaust and talk about a time of trouble, and yet that, you know, when, when we think about what's coming, it'll even be worse than that. You know, but at the same time, you know what's interesting? I've talked to Jewish rabbis, and they look at this time of trouble as the Holocaust, and their time of trouble is already over. The time of trouble that's coming now is for the Gentiles. That's just another way of looking at that. They think they they believe in this verse, but they think they went through it for the Holocaust, and now it's going to be the Gentiles' turn. Another interesting thing. But let's take a look at this next clip here, and let's read Zephaniah chapter one, verse fourteen through sixteen. It says, "The great day of the Lord is near. It is near. It hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man will cry bitterly." And then it says that day is a day of wrath, it's a day of trouble, distress, a day of wasteness, desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Now look at this. This is such an incredible verse here. I want you to make this connection. Look at what it says. It's a day of the trumpet and alarm. Do you know what the Hebrew word for day is? Yom. What's the Hebrew word for trumpet? And uh, it's shofar, for trumpet is shofar, and the word for alarm is teruah. So right here we're finding it's Yom Teruah that this event is going to begin on. Right here we see it's a day of the blowing of the shofars. And this Feast of Trumpets was known as a memorial, okay? Uh, they do believe it's a memorial of when uh, Abraham was going to offer up Isaac. That is what the, it's the memorial of. And I can imagine Isaac crying out. But what they have a ram caught in the thicket and the shofar is the ram's horn. And so there's this connection of talk about Isaac's trouble, let alone his son Jacob's trouble. But here we see that this great day of the Lord, the day of trouble and distress, it is, it literally says it's the Yom Shofar Teruah. So I really believe this connection is directly to the Feast of Trumpets or Yom Teruah, the blowing of shofar, that the great day of the Lord is going to begin on. And we talked about birth pangs in the Tanakh. And look what we find in Matthew 24, verse 7 and 8. It says, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. The Greek word for sorrows here implies pangs as in childbirth. So that here we see a direct relation back to the Tanakh. Now in Amos 5.20, it talks, it says, Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in it? What's uh, interesting, if you look up the Hebrew word for dark here, it says twice, the day of the Lord is darkness, even very dark. There are two different Hebrew words for dark here. One of the Hebrew words implies moral darkness, not just physical darkness. In uh, Revelation chapter 17, verse 5, everyone's familiar with this, where it talks about, uh, upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, 
the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So this is, we see the mother of harlots in the book of Revelation, right? Well, one thing that I want to bring out that's quite fascinating. Let's look at Daniel 11.32 here for just a minute. This is referring to the anti-Messiah, the Antichrist. And it says, such as do wickedly against the covenant, shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that know their God are what? It doesn't say they're going to go run and hide. It says they're going to be strong and they're going to be doing exploits. But I want you to notice the two things here. You have the mother of harlots going on, and you have someone who's trying to corrupt people by what? Flattery. Well, now, most people, when you think of the book of Proverbs, do you think of prophecy when you think of Proverbs? You know, a lot of people say, well, Proverbs, that's got to do with prophecy. That's not one of the prophetic books. Well, take a look at Proverbs chapter 7. This is such an incredible prophecy. Here he says, my son, keep my words. Lay up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my Torah as the apple of your eye. Bind them upon your fingers. Write them on the tables of your heart. Well, the the very word Torah uh, means to rain, to flow as water, but it also means to teach. It also implies the root word to hit the mark. Now, what does sin mean? To miss the mark. And what does Torah mean? To hit the mark. And so why in the world would you want to reject Torah when that's how you hit the mark? That's how you keep from sinning. But look at what it says next in verse 4 through 10. It says, Say unto wisdom, you're my sister, call understanding your kinswoman, that they may keep you from who? The strange woman, from the stranger who flatters with her words. And then it says, For at the window of my house I looked through my casement, and behold, among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths a young man who was void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house. Now, isn't that typical how sin works all too often? I really see this this pattern because I've seen it in my own life. And how many of you know we're all just pretty much alike when it comes to a lot of things in life? All too often, what we do, uh, I don't know if you, let's just, I don't know if you want to pick cigarettes or alcohol or drugs or whatever your sin or lust may be. But how often do we, we want to fight against this particular passion that we have, right? We, we want to stop it. But for some reason, we keep going by the liquor store on the way to work instead of going a completely different way. And sometimes we want to test how strong we are. I'm going to see if I can go buy it and resist. Dumb. Okay. But but all too often, that's what we do. And, and sometimes what we'll do, we'll, we'll take this, let's say we have this thing in our house and, and nobody knows it. It's our own little hidden thing in our house. And so what we do is, you know what, this is wrong. I'm going to put it in the garage. And then for some reason we have, you know what, I gotta get, go get a tool out of the garage. And off we go to get the tool in the garage. And then, you know, and we keep battling and we keep getting closer and closer. You know, rather than just killing it and stopping it. But here we see this guy passing through the street near her corner on the way to her house. It's like, what are you doing there? Why in the world are you there in the first place? You know, there's a story. Reminds me of a, of a story. Uh, it's kind of like a little parable story here. But there's this guy, he wanted to hire a real good driver. He wanted the best driver that he could find. And so he was testing out, uh, you know, like two or three different guys. He took them up to the top of a mountain. He said, okay, we're going to go down to the bottom of the mountain. We're going to see how fast uh, you can get down there. So the first guy jumps in the car with the, the guy that owns the car. Man, he's zipping on. Arr! 
we're wheeling down. He's just doing as fast as he can. He's trying to make the best time. And he gets down, you know. And then it's the next guy's turn. And uh, the next guy, man, he's hugging the side of the mountain. He's going slow as long as, you know, he just wants to be safe and get down there. And the guy says, I'm hiring you. And this other guy's nuts, you know. <laughs> But all too often, we try to see how close we can get without going over into the sin. How close can I get? Man, don't don't play that game. But now look at this. We just got done reading all these verses about how the tribulation is a time of great darkness, very much darkness. And look at what's next here in Proverbs 7. We already see the harlot here that's mentioned in Revelation. And now it says it's in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. So that's, this is referred to the tribulation. It's the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot, and she was subtle of heart. Well, that's the harlot in the book of Revelation. Now look at verse 13 and 15. It says, she caught him, she kissed him, and with an impudent face said to him, I have peace offerings with me, this day have I paid my vows. This isn't just any harlot, this is a religious harlot. She's religious, she does peace offerings. Okay? So catch that. This is a just this is a, a harlot who has the idea of religion. And she says, "Therefore I came to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I found you." Here he's looking for her, and she says, "No, I'm looking for you." Trying to appeal to his ego here. And so let's take a look at this next slide. I want to transition here for just a minute. I want to go to the Gospels now. Look at Mark. 1334. It talks about the Son of Man, Yeshua. He says, a man who's taking a far journey, he left his house and he gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. So here we see, number one, uh, Yeshua is taking a far journey. Where did he go? He went from earth back to heaven, right? And he left his house. He gave authority to his servants. That would be his body. And everyone is to get to work. And he commanded everyone to watch. Let's look at Matthew 25, 14, and 15. Here it says, The kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his servants, delivered unto them his goods. Unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to every man according to his ability. And straightway, what did he do? Okay, now we see that, again, the kingdom of heaven, who's the man traveling to the far country? It's Yeshua. Now let's look at Matthew 20. We're going to look at verse 1 and 11. Talk about the kingdom of heaven is likely to a man that's a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And, uh, and then it, he talks about how people that work different hours of the day, but he all got the same wage, if you remember the parable. And it talks about uh, when the people who uh, had been there all day received the same amount as the people that only worked there an hour, they murmured against the good man of the house. Okay, now in this parable, who's the good man of the house? Yeshua. So we see Yeshua, two principles. Yeshua is the good man of the house. And he's taking a far journey, giving authority to his servants. Okay? Now, with that, let's go back to Proverbs 7 and look at how Proverbs seven eighteen unfolds here. She says, Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves, for the good man is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He's taken a bag of money with him. He'll come home at the day appointed. This is a total prophecy of the last days, of the dark days. And the harlot, I mean, think the Antichrist, the anti-Messiah, he knows exactly what's going to happen much better than the church does. 
He even knows he's coming back on a Moedim, on the appointed day. Right there. That's what it says. He's going to come home on the appointed day. The Hebrew word there implies the full moon. Kind of interesting. The festival of the full moon. Okay, now I want to bring out something that a lot of people aren't aware of. Do you see this church? What's all around the church? So this represents the dead church. Okay, that's the image I'm trying to bring about. This is the dead church. Okay, now in Revelation, which we're going to be looking at over time, uh, there's seven letters written to seven churches. And let's look at Revelation 3, 1 through 3. Now, how many of you know, a lot of people will say, well, the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Does he come as a thief in the night? That is what it says. But what does that mean? Who's he talking to? This is why you have to look at things in context. You can't pull things out of context. And just, there's a verse that says there is no God. Okay, that means there is no God. The verse says there is no God. But the verse before it says only the fool has said. Okay. So you got to look at things in context. You can't just pull something out. So let's look at this whole concept of the Lord coming as a thief in the night. Under the angel of the church in Sardis, I want you to write, These things saith he that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name that you live, but you are what? Okay, so who's he speaking to? The dead church. And he says, I want you to watch and strengthen those things that remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you've received and heard. Hold fast and repent. If therefore you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you'll not know what hour I'll come upon you. So when he says he's going to come as a thief, he's speaking to the dead church, not to the alive church. So you have to look at when he says he's coming as a thief, who's he talking to? So here he's saying... To the dead church, I'm going to come upon you as a thief if you're not watching. Now look at verse 17 and 18. It goes on to say, here he's speaking now to the church of Laodicea. How many of you remember the church of Laodicea, right? This is the lukewarm church. He says, because you say I'm rich and increased with goods, you have need of, and have need of nothing. You don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich, white raiment that you may be clothed. Now notice this, it says that the shame of your nakedness does not appear. Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. So now he's speaking to the lukewarm church, right? And he's telling them, you need to buy some white raiment that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness does not appear. Well now let's go look at Revelation chapter 16 verse 15. And look what it says. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So here we see he comes as a thief to the dead church. He comes as a thief to the lukewarm church. Now, I'm going to go to the next slide here. Here's the parable of the foolish virgins. And I'll go ahead and jump to the next slide. And the wise virgins. Okay. Let's look at context of the foolish and the wise virgins from Matthew 25. We see the foolish said to the wise, give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out. But the wise said, no way, Jose. Lest there be not enough for us in you, but you go to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And when they went to buy, the bridegroom came. They that were ready went in with him to the marriage. The door was what? 
shut. We'll look at that more here in a minute. Afterward came the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Notice they called him Lord. They even said, Lord, Lord. It wasn't just once. It's like, you're, you're, you're my Lord and Savior. But what does he say? He answered and said, I don't know you. Then he says this. And he's speaking to the foolish virgins. He says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man comes. So who's he speaking to? The foolish virgins are the ones that don't know the day or the hour. It's not the wise virgins. He's speaking to the foolish virgins here. Now look at Luke 12. Let's go to this next clip. Verse 37 through 41. They're talking about servants who are watching. And it says, blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find what? Verily I say to you, he'll gird himself, he'll make them to sit down to meet, will come forth and serve them. And if you will come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have done what? Watching and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be therefore ready also for the son of man comes in an hour when you don't think. So now, Peter, wise Peter, comes up to him and says, okay, is this to us or to everybody? Okay? So now Yeshua is going to answer his question when he said this. Is he just speaking to them or who's he speaking to? That's what Peter wanted to know. Who was this parable for, what you just said? So let's look at verse 42 through 46. The Lord says, okay, who is the faithful and the wise steward whom his Lord will make rule over his household? To give them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Of a truth, I say to you, he will make him ruler over all that he has. Now look at this. Here's the big but. And if that servant says in his heart, my Lord delays his coming, and he begins to beat the men servants and the maidens to eat, to drink, to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come on a day when he looks not for him and at an hour that he is not aware and will cut him asunder and report him as portion with the unbelievers. It's not the wise servant. It's the evil servant. You have to look at these things in context. Okay? It's going to be to the evil servant. He's not going to be aware of the day that he comes. Look at Matthew 16.3. Here Yeshua is speaking to the leaders of the day. And he says, in the morning, it'll be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. Oh, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. There were all these signs that were given. They knew that it was the time for the Messiah. I mean, why do you think Simeon and Anna, and the, they said, hey, we know this is the time. They knew from the, uh, the prophecy in Daniel that it was time for the Messiah. Everybody was looking for the Messiah. They knew it was the time, and all the signs were there, but they didn't get it. Well, I'll tell you what, the signs are here today, and again, there are people who just don't get it. Let's look at Luke 19. He goes on to say, when he was come near, he beheld the city of Jerusalem. He wept over it, saying, if only you had known, even you, at least in this your day, the things which belong to your peace. But now they're hid from your eyes, and shall lay you even with the ground, your children within you, And they shall not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. I mean, this is incredible. I talked about this, I believe, on Shabbat. The generation, uh, what generation had more signs and wonders than any other generation in history? It was the ones that left the Exodus. And yet God called them the faithless generation. They were the evil generation. The The generation that had all the signs and wonders 
with a generation full of unbelief. And then look at Yeshua's time. Talk about doing signs and wonders, and yet a generation of unbelief. And now we're going to see all kinds of signs and wonders coming again. And Yeshua says, when I come, will I find faith on earth? But there's a real twist to this time. The signs and wonders that we never would believe in the time of the Exodus or the time of Yeshua are going to be done by the Antichrist and everyone's going to believe them. I mean, this is just, what a twist and turn. Look at First Chronicles 12.32. <clears throat> Talking about the children of Issachar. They were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. This is the difference between the evil servants and the good servants. Between those that are watching and those that aren't watching. We need to be like the sons of Issachar that are watching and know what we're supposed to do. Now this next verse is really going to just knock your socks off if you've never read it before. I hope after hearing all of this, your eyes are just going to go bling. I never saw that before. If you haven't seen that before, you've already read it. I mean, if you've already heard me speak on this before, you got it. But we'll go and go real slow. <clears throat> and let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 5. When it talks about the times and seasons, do you remember the Hebrew word for seasons in Genesis is what? It's the Moedim. So here when he talks about the times and seasons, he's talking about the appointed times. He's talking about the festivals. And he says this, he says, you don't have any need that I write to you about the times and the seasons, because you guys are sharp. You're watching. You understand the festivals. He says, you know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as what? Oh, there's the verse. He comes as a thief in the night. See, we're supposed to be stupid. Look at what it says. When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day will overtake you as a thief. Hello? It's right there. It's not supposed to take you as a thief in the night because you're supposed to be one that knows the signs of the times that are watching. Now, that's a great consolation. You don't have to go around telling everybody. You know, I could, someone comes to me, well, our church teaches, you know, we're not supposed to know the day. Oh, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> you need to go get out of the dead church. You need to get out of the lukewarm church and go to someone who does know. Now, again, I'm not setting dates. I don't know the year. But we need to understand and not be rebuked for not knowing the times and the seasons and realizing these events, just as Yeshua fulfilled the spring feast to the day of his first coming, he'll fulfill the fall feast to the day of his second coming, just like they were fulfilled in order. You can't have Shavuot or the Spirit being poured out until he rose from the dead. Well, he can't rise from the dead until he's buried. They're not going to bury him until he dies. Okay, so things had to be fulfilled in order. The fall feasts have to be fulfilled in order. You're going to see trumpets, the tribulation beginning first. Then you're going to see Yom Kippur, Israel's national day of atonement to realize Yeshua is the Messiah. Then you'll see the Feast of Tabernacles, where he now tabernacles among men for the millennial reign. So this just kind of makes so much sense. And it just now is, uh, see, I want to kind of lay the groundwork here. So as we study the book of Revelation and we see Yom, you're going to see the trumpets all through Revelation. You're going to see Yom Kippur in Revelation. You're going to see it ends with Sukkot in Revelation. And I'm going to be kind of tying all these things together. Look at Ezekiel 33, verse 2 and 3 and 7. It says, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon the land, if the people of the land 
take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman. If when he sees the sword coming upon the land and he blows the shofar and he warns the people. So you, son of man, I have set as a watchman to the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. It's really important that we don't give our warning. We give God's warning. There's a lot of people out there that are, are speaking their own warning out. And people aren't listening, but we need to, we need to know, there's a, I don't have it written down, but there's another story of a situation with David. And these two servants are taken off to tell David, and one passes up the other one and gets to David and goes, I got a message. And David goes, what is it? Uh, oh, I don't know. So, you know, get out of here. It's only funny waits for the other guy to come to give the message. We got to make sure that uh, the message, when we read it, we can make it plain. We don't need to make it some big theological thing that people can't digest. Let's look at Jeremiah 6. I have a couple of verses here, 10, 16, 17, and 19, just to keep things consolidated. You can read the whole thing in context at your own leisure. It says, okay, to whom am I going to speak, and who to whom am I going to give warning that they may hear? He says, Behold, their ear is uncircumcised. You ever heard about an uncircumcised ear? It's closed. You can't hear. And they can't hearken. It says, Behold, the word of the Lord is to them as a reproach. They don't have any delight in the word of the Lord. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand in the ways and see and ask for what? The old path. And what's in the old path? The good way. And walk there. And you will find rest for your souls. I don't have Matthew eleven twenty nine here. And 30, but this is what Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30 is quoting, where Yeshua says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for you shall find meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. He's talking about the yoke of Torah. The yoke has always been the yoke of Torah. But he says, you're going to find rest. Why? He's the one that's carrying the yoke. Just like a bicycle built for two. You got the adult on one seat and the little kid on the other seat. Who's doing all the work? The adult is. The kid's there for the ride. We take Yeshua's yoke upon us. He's the one that's going to do all the work. We're just there for the ride. But it says you're going to find rest. Isn't that interesting? It says, but what did they say? We don't want to walk in Torah. I said a watchman over you saying, hearken to the sound of the shofar. But they said, we don't want to listen to the shofar. Hear, O earth, behold, I'm going to bring evil on this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they've not listened to my words, nor to my Torah, but they've rejected it. Wow. And this is in context of Matthew eleven twenty nine. Think about this. When he talks about, when they, see, here's the thing we've got to realize, they memorized a lot of scripture. And when, when Yeshua was saying Matthew eleven twenty nine and find rest for your souls, they knew that referred to the context of walking in Torah. The reason why they were having all this trouble and why the temple was destroyed twice was because they weren't walking in Torah. And now think about this. How many of you believe God is just and he's merciful and he's loving? Like I said before. I mean, it's, it's one thing if you have to kick, kick your kid out of, the, out of the house because they're punching holes in the walls as a teenager and all this kind of stuff. But what does he think if you don't really kick them out, you burn the house down and move? Wow, they are really mad. They really mean it. <clears throat> so think about this for a minute. 
if God was so upset that they weren't walking in Torah, he tore down his own house during Solomon's day. He did it again in Yeshua's day. If he's going to turn around now and say, okay, now you can't walk in Torah. If you walk in Torah, I'll burn the house down. Does that make sense? You're not walking in Torah, I burn the house down. Again, you're not walking in Torah, you burn the house down. Okay, but guess what? Now you can forget everything I said and just have all the fun and greasy grace. And, and if you try to walk in Torah, that's legalism and I'll destroy you. Can you see how absurd that is? Okay. Let's go to the next slide. Isaiah 58, 1. It says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a shofar. That's why, like I said, on the Feast of Trumpets, we have people all over the world, and you can just shout. You can lift up your voice like a shofar. And what are we to do? Show my people. It doesn't say show the wicked. It says show uh, as far as the unbeliever. He says, I want you to show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. All right, let's take a look, a look at this. I have a little alarm clock set for almost midnight. Now, most of us don't wake up at midnight. But, I don't know, you know David did? You know, this is just another side note. It's kind of interesting. How do you know David played the harp? They say what he would do at night, he'd have the windows open, the curtains drawn, and he would put his harp in the window. And at midnight, the wind would blow through the strings and play a melody, the, the, the Spirit of God, and wake him up. That's how he would wake up at midnight. The Lord would wake him up by playing his harp. Isn't that cool? I want to talk to you. Okay. But I want you to know, I have it, this alarm clock. Because if you remember, one of the meanings of Teruah is to blow an alarm. It means to wake up. And how many of you know God wants us to wake up so we can be watching? Yom Teruah is known as the day of the awakening blast. It's been that in Judaism forever. That's why I believe the resurrection of the dead will take place on the Feast of Trumpets. Now, I don't set the date. I'm not telling you when it's going to happen, and I'm not going to get drawn to the argument if it's pre-mid, post, pre-wrath, post-wrath. I don't care when. But it will happen, I firmly believe, on the Feast of Trumpets some year. And, and I'm going to show you why Yom Teru is known as the Day of Awakening Blast and why it's going to occur then. I mean, poor Pastor Art and Pastor Tom and, and me, we get all these emails of these crazies. The rapture is going to be here. The rapture is going to be here and there and there. I mean, we get so many emails of everyone saying it's going to be this month, next month, next month. It's like, oh, shut up. <laughs> you know. If, if people would at least grasp it's going to happen on the Feast of Trumpets, if it doesn't happen then, well, hey, you don't have to worry about it for another year. <laughs> All right. But I'm going to show you why. Daniel 12.2. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall do what? Awake. See, they believe in the resurrection of the dead. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. But look at Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead men shall live together with my dead body. They shall arise awake and sing you that dwell in the dust for your dew is as the dew of herbs and the earth will cast out the dead. So these are different verses out of the Tanakh that talk about the resurrection of the dead. And I don't have time to go into it. I did a little bit, I think, last week. But dew represents the resurrection of the dead. Okay, 
Now look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. Again, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the shofar of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. So here we see the shout of the shofar. We see the uh, the shofar of Yom Teruah connected to the resurrection of the dead. This is why I firmly believe the resurrection of the dead will take place some year on the Feast of Trumpets. Okay. Now, let's take a look at this next slide. Here's something I want to point out. The Feast of Unleavened Bread begins on Nisan 15, as Nisan 14 is Passover. And because the months are based on the moon, the Feast of Passover Unleavened Bread begins with a full moon. The Feast of Sukkot, or Tabernacles, is Tishri 15, which equals what? A full moon. But the Feast of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah, is based on the new moon. So we got a little picture of a new moon. The sliver of the moon. Now here's the thing. You guys know what the diaspora is. The diaspora means the Jews that were living all over the place. In Babylon and Lebanon and wherever else. Okay. If you remember, it's evening and morning, day one. So the biblical day starts at night. Right? Okay, so they're looking for the new moon. They announce it in Jerusalem. Two witnesses. They've seen the new moon. And then they light fires on the hillsides to let people know. And finally it gets to Babylon and they know. Now, if you go to bed at night and you wake up in the morning and you get the word that, hey, it's the new moon, the day's already half over. Right? So guess what they did? They kept the Feast of Trumpets for two days. And it was known as one long day. Okay? Now, consequently, it was known as the feast where no one knew the day or the hour it would begin. So when he says you don't know the day or the hour, that's kind of an idiom of telling you it's the Feast of Trumpets because that's the feast where one knows the day or the hour it's going to begin. So he's telling you when it is by not telling you when it is. You know, they say also in Judaism that it was symbolically a hidden day, even from Satan, so he would be 100% aware of its arrival. Okay? Well, I think that's fascinating when you think of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, where it talks about if the princes of this world had known, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. There are things that the Lord has kept hidden from us because he wants to keep them hidden from Satan. If they, didn't know, if they would have known that... God wanted Yeshua to die, they wouldn't have killed him. Alright, so, I mean, see, the, the poor stupid devil, he, I mean, he's wise, but he's dumb. You know, I mean, he, he doesn't get it. He, everything, look what happened. He knows prophecy, like I showed you in Proverbs 7. He knew that Israel has to go back to the land and become a nation again. That's why the Holocaust. He was trying to kill them all, so that couldn't happen. But it was in the very process of trying to do it that he created the nation of Israel. I mean, that's how God works. God, I mean, God doesn't play all his cards. He, he lets the devil, you know, really think he's got it under control. And then the devil does a very stupid thing that God knew he was going to do because he knows him. And here the devil is the one who brings the things about that he's supposed to bring in about. And that's what's so comical. 
Okay. Let me see. Does anybody here have a shofar tonight? That can blow the three different sounds? Do you want to try it? Robert, come on up here. Is your shofar here? Do you have that handy or out in your car? Or do you want to go get it? Okay, you can go and go. But anyway, as we go on, I want you to know there are basically three sounds that are made on Yom Teruah with the shofar. One of them is called the tekiah, which is a long, straight blast. The other one is the shevarim, which is three short blasts. And then the teruah is nine quick blasts in short succession. And what happens on the Feast of Trumpets, the shofar is blown 100 times. And that 100th blast on the Feast of Trumpets is known as the last trump. But if you don't know that, you don't realize when it says that the last trump, the dead in Christ will rise, he's referring to the Feast of Trumpets. It's the 100th blast. So again, this shows you why this will happen on the Feast of Trumpets. Now, how many of you have been to our Feast of Trumpet service? You can come on up. So how many of you have not been? We have quite a few. you got to come to our Feast of Trumpet service. We're probably going to have about a thousand people. This place is packed. And we, uh, everyone can bring their shofar. Everyone brings their shofar. And we buy about a hundred little plastic shofars for the kids. And all the little kids have plastic shofars and banners. You know, we have uh, flags of all the different nations that they come marching with and blowing them and everything. Uh, and uh, at the end, we literally blow the shofar 100 times. And at that last blast, everyone participates. You know, we just blast it out. But why don't you go ahead and give them uh, the three shorter blasts. And then nine quick blasts. No, nine quick blasts. That one. It's a little bit different. It's, 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 it's like, do, 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 do. There you, that's, there, that's more like it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now do the long straight blast. All right. Good job. Good job. Okay, and then the names are called out, Takia, Teruah, Shevarim, and you hear it. And, you know, it says that we read in Psalms eighty nine fifteen, Blessed is the man that knows the joyful sound, that knows the Teruah. I tell you what, that's the sound that the resurrection of the dead will take place, and we're going to hear it. Can you imagine what it would be like if all of a sudden we heard that? Everyone all around the world heard God blowing that shofar? <laughs> well, it says those that are alive and remain... Also, will be caught up. So, but anyway, we're, there's going to be people that are going to hear that, and this is going to be so exciting. So, let's look at First Corinthians fifteen fifty-one through fifty-three. It says, "Behold, I show you a mystery: we shall not all sleep; we shall all be changed. There must be a nursery in heaven. We're all going to be changed." No, just kidding. <laughs> Okay, it says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at when? At the, when you understand your Hebrew roots, that refers to the hundredth blast on the Feast of Trumpets, you realize this event is going to happen on the Feast of Trumpets. 
The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, will be changed, the corruptible must put on incorruption, and the mortal must put on immortality. So again, when you begin to connect all these dots, you begin to realize the resurrection of the dead will take place on the Feast of Trumpets, some year, we don't know. But so that's why these are called convocations or dress rehearsals. So that's why every year on the Feast of Trumpets, we get together, we practice the coronation of the king, we, we practice, uh, you know, everything, and we're blowing the shofars, we have to realize... Moses' tabernacle on earth was patterned after what was in heaven. Okay? So, here's an example. Like, let's say you tell your kids, all right, I want you to dump the trash. I want you to do the laundry and the dishes, right? Okay, well, what happens if um, the dishwasher is broken? <laughs> Hello? Okay. Or let's say the washing machine's broken. All right. Well, if, even if the washing machine is broken, you can't do the laundry. Can you still do the dishes and, and still, you know, clean up and dump the trash and vacuum? Well, here's the thing. There's no temple. So, yes, there's some things we can't do, but there's a lot we can do. So you do what you can. Of course, there's things you can't. There's no temple, but it doesn't mean don't do what you can do. And so one of the things we can do is rehearse. On the Feast of Trumpets, we rehearse. We go. Can you imagine? And you have to realize... Every year they're practicing in heaven. On the Feast of Trumpets, every year in the heavenlies, they're going through the blast, they're shouting, they're going through the rehearsal of what it's going to be like when Yeshua, and then we're down here on earth, the echo, the harmonic resonance of what's going on in heaven. But some year when we're practicing and we're going through it, at some instant on that day we'll be translated into the heavenlies with them in the actual thing. Can you? Why would you not want to be here? I mean... It'll be an easy transition for you to go from here to there because you've been rehearsing and you're right a part of it. But to be totally ignoring it, wanting nothing to do with it, going about doing your own thing, it's going to be like, what in the world is that? What's going on? And it'll cause fear and panic and who knows. And this is why you want to do, at least I do. In Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. Here the bridegroom is speaking to the, uh, about what the, the bride is speaking about what the bridegroom is saying. And she says, my beloved spoke and said to me, and what does he say? Get up! <laughs> Rise up, my love, my fair one, come away, for lo, the winter has passed, the rain is over and gone. She didn't sleep one night, she went into hibernation, she slept all winter. She said, winter's over. The rain's over and gone, please wake up, you need to be watching. And in verse chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, she says, My beloved is mine and I am his. In other words, Jesus, you belong to me first and then I belong to you. You know, you do what I say and then I'll do what you say. And she feels excited because she has a little bit of knowledge. I know where you work. I know you're feeding among the lilies. And she says, Until the day break and the shadows flee away, turn, go away, my beloved, be like a roe or a young heart on the mountains of Bether, which speaks of separation. And then we find in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it's no longer our bed, it's now my bed, she says. She sought him and she couldn't find him. And she says, okay, now I'm going to get up. And we talked about this last week, how she went into the broadways. And we know broad is the way of destruction. And then in chapter 5, verse 2 and 6, again, the church is asleep. Or the bride, I should say, is asleep. And God wants her to be watching. And she says, well, but my heart's awake. Well, I think I talked about this last week, but that... Sleep there is sleeping in the dust of the earth like she's at the point of death. 
But she says, but my heart's still beating. And now it's the voice of my beloved that's knocking. And the word knock there really means pounding on the door like he's doing CPR, trying to get her to wake up. And we see at the end, she sought him but couldn't find him. I called him, but he gave no answer because if you need to call or come when he calls. All too often, the Lord will call and we'll say, I'm busy. And then we come to God and call, and guess what? He's going to say, I'm busy. Now, if you don't want the Lord to say that, we need to learn to respond immediately. Like in Revelation, he stands at the door, and what is he doing? He's knocking. If any man opens, they don't even know he's, this is the door of the church. Not an unbeliever. It's the church, and they don't even know he's not inside. In Ephesians 5.14, wherefore he says, Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Messiah will give you light. That's what we need to realize. Well, I think now is a good time as any to stop, and we'll pick up next week. I'll try to kind of give you these notes again next week. We don't have time to go over all of this. I have way too much information. But I, I just hope that you guys can get a better idea of why we need to understand the Tanakh, to understand the book of Revelation when we're reading it. It's all through there. So let's stand. We'll close with uh, prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for your Torah, for your word. I pray, Lord, that tonight uh, some eyes have been opened and hearts have been opened to, to look at things from a new standpoint. Father, I just pray that you would touch everyone's heart, give them all a safe trip home. And Father, give them a safe trip back as they come on Shabbat. In Yeshua's name, amen. Thank you very much.